All right, so we got Bennett Conlon here, uh, Charlottesville's favorite Daily Progress reporter. Now moved on doing doing big things. Uh, Bennett, thanks for jumping on, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to for talk about everyone. Uh, so, what are you what are you doing now? I know you moved into the sports betting uh, realm. Yeah, so it's I guess somewhat confusing to explain a little bit because the the parent company is Better Collective, uh, but they own I think it's like. 300 plus it might be like a thousand plus sites like they own they're based in in denmark i think it is so they own a ton of sites uh in europe and a bunch of different sports betting sites in the u.s too so i'm on the remote u.s team i write primarily for sports handle it's called and like u.s bets um and then they've also got me doing a lot for their tennessee site um but yeah kind of anything they ask me to do i do a lot of it is actually geared toward like legislation and where it's becoming legal in the u.s and some of the like political battles that go on as it tries to become legal in different states. So that's the main focus. And then there's like mixed in like some game previews and stuff. Uh, fortunately, I don't have to hand out like picks as uh, so that can be hit or miss for me, but uh, I've been there, done that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been really fun. It's been a nice change of pace for sure. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I've done, I did an interview with the lady from Gambit DC, DC's uh, first sports betting lottery. Mm-hmm. And uh there's just so much of it right now, you know. Uh, do you feel like the market's oversaturated at all, or do you think it's going to continue climbing and we haven't even tipped the iceberg? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I feel like there's, you know, a lot of like sports betting talk everywhere, even with just like the amount of ads you'll see on like a, a billboards walk- in Virginia, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You've got that, and then like in in game ads and all these different things to to do things that are, I think at a certain point, it might slow down a little bit, but you've also got new states coming on. So in terms of like the content creation there, I think it'll probably um, continue to grow for the most part, but you're also going to see, I would think some companies sort of stand out just based on, on how they do things, if their work is quality over time. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of sites that try to hand out picks and try to do it and get you to pay for them and all that good stuff. Uh, that stuff's tough. And I'm certainly never paying anyone for picks if they're going to hit it. What a 55% rate. That's pretty good. So like, <laughs> I'm not going to shell out money for that, but um, it's interesting to see how it'll all kind of go down in the, the media landscape. Cause there's just, there's a lot of different sports betting sites and like through the interview process for me, I interviewed with a few different companies um, in my current role, I mentioned I cover like the legislation and it's a full-time job. I had someone who they're telling me like they wanted me to be the best national reporter in terms of like covering sports betting legislation. And they wanted me to write four or five times like a month or something on a freelance basis. I'm like, well, that's kind of impossible. Like if you're paying me like a hundred bucks a month, do you want me to be the best reporter in the country? That's not how it works. Uh, what's your uh, relationship with, with sports gambling? I mean, when I was, I'm a little bit older than you, but when I was like in college and growing up, it was like so taboo and it was so hard to find. You couldn't, yeah, you couldn't find any lines, you know, but now literally everywhere. How did you uh, yeah. start? Way, diff- way different now. So, uh, I mean, I guess like fantasy sports were kind of like, <laughs> like the gateway drug to, <laughs> to sports betting, right? Like that's how you kind of get into it a little bit, at least for me. Uh, so did that growing up and in like middle school and high school and all that stuff and like played DFS uh, as it kind of came around. Um, and then I think I, I did some like offshore stuff with like Bovada, but it was like kind of limited because it was also unclear. Like if Bovada would send me a check, like oh, dude, on... getting paid from an offshore. <laughs> right. <hardest> thing. <laughs> right. So then after a certain point, I was like, all right, I, I don't really want to do this. Uh, but then when it became legal in Virginia, 
that's kind of when, you know, the last year or so where I've done a bunch of different things on there and really enjoyed it and also become a more, I think, intelligent, better. We're kind of understanding like public trends and line movement and all that good stuff. And like why a line is at a certain number and how there can be value on that side, things like that. Whereas in the past, I think I was like, Ooh, this team is a fun one to watch and they're an underdog. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Then you just yeah. burn a bunch of money doing that. Take the point. <laughs> I think if you could bet, if you're the public, you can like, stay in the game all year you're never going to be too far down or too far up yes if you if you try to be on like the sharp side and find where you know the book kind of will make money if you're you know if the public loses that's certainly a a strategy that makes sense and yeah it kind of goes hit or miss throughout the year you got to be consistent too i know some people like they'll bet a team and that team will burn them like if they bet the bucks on uh whatever it was the other day when they played i guess it was, yeah, was shut it out. sunday night yeah get yeah. shut out i'm sure there are people who are heavy on that game that are now just like oh the bucks are dead to me even though they still might make a, a very nice run and they'll probably bet against them and i'll end up hurting them just because they got <laughs> burned emotionally once so you're with daily progress for three years uh just over two i think okay yeah uh, you came on right after the national championship basketball yes really yeah right. so i think the biggest thing that you were involved in probably was sports shutting down yeah so tell me how it went you were on the beat in the newsroom and then all of a sudden cut off everything's remote world change yeah so the sports staff for the daily progress was i don't know how much it's changed but it was interesting where like i really didn't have to be in the office much to begin with because there was so much travel and stuff so i spent probably you know like six days in there before pandemic. So I like wasn't in the actual newsroom that much because there was a ton of travel. I did a lot of stuff in my apartment um, and it made it easier because it was like wherever my apartment was, was 20 minutes or so away from uh, the newsroom, just because that's where the cheap Charlottesville apartment was. Um, so I didn't spend a ton of time in there, but then it was a, a pretty big adjustment once it, once it changed, right? You've got so many sporting events happening and that was kind of my way to get through a week is like most of your day-to-day coverage is probably game recaps or at least close to it. Yeah, had in game previews and like analysis, like the games, the actual events really drive a lot of the stories that you're doing. Um, so huge adjustment to try to come up with stuff. Like one point I was covering Korean baseball because uh, there was a, go. yeah, you had a pitcher from who used to play at, at UVA was over there. And I think he, he kind of struggled that year, but um, so interviewed him a little bit and would cover some of those games when ESPN bought him or whatever, bought the rights for like a month. <laughs> they did. Uh, it was like the first thing that came back. I remember it was like, <laughs> yeah. it was like crack. Yeah, it was hilarious. So that's, I did a little bit of that and just tried to get really creative with story ideas. And it was, it was definitely a struggle. And I spent a few months in Connecticut cause that's where my parents were uh, at the time. So I, you know, I asked my boss, I was like, I mean, I'm just going to be sitting in this apartment doing nothing for, for months. You care if I <laughs> go home and do it, do it was like, somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, that's fine with me. So did that for a while and then things started to ramp back up and came back down. Unfortunately, they were able to play games and and do all that stuff. But a year without fans was was really weird too. Yeah, came right back in time for the College World Series. That was a, mm-hmm. that was a really fun time. Yeah, exactly. In, uh, UVA land. Yeah, that was that was cool to get the fans back for that one. And that's one like the whole town and the whole community gets really into it. If you had limited fans, that would have been really uh, tough that year, especially if you're, I know UVA baseball fans are are pretty legit and they care. I think for them too, to have their team uh, in Omaha was pretty special for those that made the trip. So growing up, were you like, so you look at all the, you know, all the president's men, all the newspaper movies, it's like in the news, <laughs> so many people, but every newspaper I've ever worked for, it's been like, basically you're doing everything over email. Like there's no newsroom. Was that a disappointment for you or did you kind of, 
because you worked at a student paper as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Were you kind of so expecting the, this when you got into the the real journalism world? So the, that's a really good question. So the student newspaper was um, pretty lively, especially when you're like an editor for us. We had like 20 editors at the JMU student newspaper that were, you know, in there probably twice a week for a long periods of time, kind of working on some stuff. We printed like once a week, um, but still spent a lot of time in that office and you made some really good friendships there. So that was really special to have that. Um, and then I spent like my first day or two at the Daily Progress in the office. And then it was kind of clear as like, I really don't need to be here. So I kind of went and did some other stuff um, and, and did a lot of my work at home. But the schedule was super flexible, like within reason. Obviously, a lot of your weekends are busy, but like during the week, it might just be like one in the afternoon and I'd like head to the gym or like go get lunch or just do whatever for multiple hours because I'd finish my stories that day. And that was kind of what you're doing. You know, you're probably working like a 12 hour day on Saturday or something. So that aspect of it was fun. But yeah, it was it was definitely different. And like with the reduced budget, like there were certainly trips where you'd spend time with like the TV people, Preston Willett and things like that. And Damon Dillman, who I guess is with Rivals now. Um, and then you had you know, Mike Barber, spent a lot of time with him on the road. So that stuff was fun. Yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. But um, college student newspaper is like me, another sports person and a photographer, which doesn't make a ton of sense for uh, for what you're doing financially at, at some of these local papers. But those were a lot of fun. And it was definitely a little different where you'd go on some of these trips. And I was, I was talking to my family about it the other day because I flew in to visit them now um, in Florida. And I flew at like a normal time during the day. And I was like, this is so different than what I was doing at the Daily Progress because they want you to get the cheapest flights. You're flying out earlier, oh, getting boy. back at like midnight. <laughs> some of them for the cheapest flight. It's like, you'll do a connector. So you're flying from, let's say they play someone in, in Florida. You fly to like connect in Atlanta and you got to sit there for six hours or whatever, Dude. waiting for the next one because that's the cheapest flight. So it's like that that isn't glamorous. And when you're doing it alone and you're just sitting at the Atlanta airport kind of killing time, I think those are the days where you question what you're doing a little bit. So yeah, that's a good question. I definitely missed some of that newsroom aspect and um, was interesting too because uh, the editor they had at the time right before the pandemic hit was like, hey, like, we're going to try to have the sports staff like more integrated with what we're doing. So like when the NCAA tournament ends, like we'll probably have you in here maybe two or three times a week, just have some office hours. So you'll be with everyone and kind of have that newsroom feel. Then of yeah. course the pandemic hits and, and no one's going in there. So, <laughs> so uh, you also run your own uh, website still, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? Was that something that happened after you left school or yeah. So I graduated from JMU in 2018 and got a job at business.com, which covers like small business news and product reviews and stuff. Um, and I realized I was probably going to miss sports a little bit, but happy to have a paycheck. So I started a blog essentially about JMU sports. Um, and originally I wanted it to be more like newsy and like informative. And I think it was, I tried to mm -hmm. treat it more like a journalistic thing, I guess, in some ways, even if it wouldn't necessarily have like a ton of, of sourcing in it. Um, and then after a while, I was like, let's just make this like a fan blog. Like there, <laughs> I don't want to like, especially when I was on the UVA beat too, it's like, I'm not going to try to have a second beat that I'm like legitimately covering. So I was like, all right, let's just have fun with it. I run it with a friend of mine and we've done that and gained a little bit of a following just because there's pretty limited JMU sources. You've got the local paper, uh, Richmond's done some more stuff. The RTD starting to do a little bit more. Um, but it's really just those two plus TV, but that, I feel like that's so different in terms of how fans consume it. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like if you're local, you probably watch the TV a little bit. Um, but since a lot of it's not written, it's like 
you know, segments. It's not quite the same if you're a fan from afar to like yeah. go and, and watch a two minute segment that includes like a little bit of a clip. I don't know how many people are really doing that. Um, so we've tried to do some written stuff, got a podcast and all that, and that good stuff. It's been fun to run and fun to kind of have something on the side that we can no, just do. You guys in our doing free a great time. job, man. Appreciate that. Um, it's weird how people consume news. Like there's a certain age group, right? Like I see it locally, it's like 60 and above. They get their sports, like UVA news from the daily progress, like right. print edition. That's what they know, you know? Yep. Meanwhile, I've read the, that article like six or eight hours earlier, but mm-hmm. it's just like when, when it's print, it's in the morning and uh, <laughs> exactly, that's when yeah. they're getting it, you know, I guess it, that's how it's like a training system. You've done that your whole life and that's how you continue to do it. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. You get some of that too. And I, I mean, you don't realize as much, right? Because if you're like active on Twitter, you're interacting with people who are probably like, oh, gr- you're great on Twitter, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. But you're interacting with like a lot of UV fans, probably 50 and under. Right. So you've got kind of that aspect. And then your, your emails are like people who are like UVA class of 73 or something. You're like, whoa, like <laughs> it, it's hard to kind of balance that where it's like your tweets are maybe for a younger audience. But like you got to realize that some of the people reading the actual articles have, you know, followed UVA sports for two or three times as long as I've been alive. Yeah. Like with this coaching search recently. So they'd read like the new article, right? The article in the mm-hmm. paper. And then I'd be like, yeah, but on Twitter, uh, this happened, right. this happened, this happened, this happened. And it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> given all the relays. Uh, we'll get into a little UVA stuff. How do you feel about UVA as a fan base? You've interacted with them so for so long. Twitter, all this stuff. Are we in a healthy place? <laughs> I thought they were pretty good for the most part, at least the ones that interacted with me. I think they're like fairly reasonable. I think it helped that, they won the national title recently. I think that helped with the basketball yeah. fandom. Like some of the hot takes were probably limited because then minutes later, they're like, you know, we did win a national championship like very recently. So we can kind of forgive some of uh, maybe the lack of recruiting classes that they've liked or things like that. Basketball wise in football, I felt like the expectations were pretty low. So for them to, you know, win the coastal in 2019 and have some things going there, Bronco, I think as he said himself, kind of raised the expectations at UVA. So I'm interested to see how they handle uh, Tony Elliott and, and what that staff, whoever he ends up hire, hiring, is able to do, because I think the expectations now are like make a bowl game. Um, but they'll probably at some point, if you do that consistently enough, most fan bases want a little bit more, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, can you take that next step? Can you you know win the ACC Coastal consistently or at least be in the mix? Can you, um, the playoff expands, can you threaten to make the playoff and win an ACC title? So it's going to be interesting to see how they, they handle all that. But at the same time, like the athletic programs across the board at UVA are so good that there's so few areas that fans can really critique other than like women's basketball, where it's like, Hey, maybe Tough Tina Thompson. <laughs> right. So they've got that. And that's, that's really one of the few, it's like when you turn on the Olympics and you got swimmers getting a bunch of medals and you look at the soccer programs are consistently good. Baseball has a terrible regular season and ends the year in Omaha like that. <laughs> that's crazy. So it's hard to get too upset. I think fans kind of handled that pretty well. Uh, I think Bronco left the program in a better place than when he got it. And now it's like the building blocks. Uh, Tony Elliott needs to hopefully we'll leave it in a better place. Uh, first and foremost, hopefully they can win the state and then kind of build outward. It's kind of a cliche thing to say, but win the state as far as recruiting goes. Yeah, I think that's an, an interesting topic, too, just because Bronco had pretty fascinating recruiting classes, right, where he would 
find people all across the country. I know some fans were upset when you see like a three tar three star kid from like Utah. It's like there's not a three star running back that that plays in Virginia. Like <laughs> you can't find a similar thing that's that's nearby or a four star or something like that. So interested it's more to see. selling the program <laughs> with Bronco. Yes. As opposed to like they want to go to the University of Virginia. You know, it's more Bronco's right. program. They're they're he's recruiting and people are committing to. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so did you were you at the JMU game uh, against Virginia a couple weeks ago? I was at that game. I was a proud JMU alum. That was kind of an ugly game, but <laughs> someone had to win it, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. I was gonna, I was gonna go. Uh, JMU gives me will give me uh, press credentials, but unfortunately, oh, nice. it doesn't. Uh, so I was going to go, but I got out of work late and I wasn't able to get down there. But like, I mean, eighty over eight thousand people. It was it, every comment there was talking about how loud the place was, and I think. It's a good win for JMU. It'll lift the state up a little bit for sure. Yeah, it's one where like I think some UV fans after were like means a lot more to JMU. It's like, well, of course it does. <laughs> like they're not, they haven't been good. Like, of course it means more uh to the team that like barely makes NCAA tournaments than the one that recently won a national title. So um, but yeah, it was a really good win for them against a down UVA team. And like they've played some of the recently solid UVA teams and gotten absolutely obliterated. So I think they kind of needed like it was a perfect storm. It's a home game against the UVA team, like at the beginning Opening of the this, new arena. Yes. Like at the beginning of the newest new um, <laughs> the beginning of the season, they're working in these new guys like Tony hasn't really figured out his rotations yet. So like all of that was was super beneficial. And then you also get a team that like won a 12 minutes without scoring. So it and you still only won by three. So it worked out really well for JMU in, in that way. But yeah, I mean, UVA is going to be back pretty soon. You look at like the next year's recruiting glasses, somewhat terrifying, plus some of the pieces they have. And what, Kihei can still play next year, right? He can be around for he's got next year, <laughs> another year. Yeah. I don't know what he's going to do, but it feels like he's been around forever. Yeah, he really has. He's <laughs> a veteran for sure. Uh, do you think um, in terms of we're well, looking at the odds to win the ACC, uh this year would you consider virginia as a, as a contender or because don't forget you know they were they started off pretty rough last year and then tony got gets things going improving as the season goes on yeah that's what he tends to do like they struggled i guess my first year on the beat too where they were kind of down and then they had that stretch where they won like 11 of 12 and they're winning them all by like three points <laughs> they, just, <Duke> at home. <laughs> yep. they just found ways to win in some of those crazy games so i'd never rule them out um the odds are probably fairly enticing it's, uh, yeah, it's plus a plus 1400 yeah it's a big time down year in the conference like nobody really stands out and, and scares me and also you look at some of the covid stuff going on maybe uva is able to kind of weather that storm a little bit and some other teams break their rhythm uh, Duke's a little bit scary because they got some NBA guys like five are, NBA guys yeah <laughs> Let's share five NBA guys. and they're like yeah because in years past they've had guys that are like NBA guys but then you actually watch them play and they like don't pan out to be it's like Van Caro's a freak and Trevor Keels is a stud like they got some really talented players so kind of hard for me to see them not doing it but I think UVA's got a chance to sneak up and still be middle of the pack or, or top four whatever they consistently get under Tony Bennett just because you know, they're going up against some teams that maybe aren't that good. And a Tony Bennett team, they usually find their their stride in the second half of the season where other teams kind of beat up on non-conference opponents and then fade. So I'm interested to see how they develop because it also seems like UVA fans, and I haven't paid a ton of attention, but it seems like there may be a little miffed at times about why some of the 
younger guys aren't getting in there, especially in what seems like a down year. Yeah. So they're a young team and they're going to grow. Uh, the, the younger guys coming off the bench, they're definitely going to give some more scoring. I would say like against uh, fairly Dickinson, they lit the scoreboard up at the end of the right. game. But at the same time, they gave up a ton of points. They only from the under 12 TV timeout, they only outscored him by five points. They were scoring a lot, but they're also allowing a ton of buckets on the yeah. other end. So are you, are you Tony willing to trade that? Probably not. Um, he's going to go with defense every time. <laughs> I think that's, that is always hilarious to kind of see the UVA fans have to wrestle with that, where it's like, this guy hits threes. And yeah, but <laughs> he's going to give the perimeter. up. <laughs> yeah. He's going to can't guard him and gives up a backdoor cut. And Tony's fuming on the sideline, even if he's knocked down like three threes in a row. So uh tony bennett in person is as great as he seems yeah he's a quality dude i mean you can't really question him much really good coach and i think the thing that stands out the most is like it's really easy after a win for a head coach to be a quality guy right you praise an atmosphere or the road team or the team you just beat the crap out of like super easy to do that really hard to do it when you lose and there are a lot of coaches where if they lose they're kind of chippy and, and pissed off he seems to have perspective after pretty much every game win or lose, even if it's a hard fought loss, he comes in is super gracious. And I also think that helps the team because they seem to sort of feed off that where they'll come in after a tough, tough loss and be like, yeah, it is what it is. They played well, we'll try to bounce back. And then they, they do. So I wonder if that feeds into why they're so good in the second half is because they're a team that can take a loss and get over it. Whereas other teams, the head man, like, you know, throwing his jacket or freaking out. And I think the other guys kind of freak out with them and lose momentum a little bit. I was at a George Mason, James Madison game when the um, James Madison coach didn't shake. <laughs> yeah, I remember that hand. one. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, Lewis Rowe, was that his name? Yeah, yeah, it was a Rowe, early Rowe era, I think, for that one. Uh, uh, Bennett, thank you so much for, for chopping it up a little bit today. I'd love to uh, do this more often, talk a little UVA. Are you following, like, a ton or just kind of on the, on the fringe because you have that connection? It's definitely not as close as it was, obviously, when I was on the beat, but it's still closer than the average team, for sure. And some of that is just I've still got people in the Twitter feed that are on the beat Looking or a random account. So, yeah, so I got so much that uh, that pops up that I keep an eye on it. All right, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Where can everyone find you at? Uh, you can find me on my Twitter. It's at Bennett Conlin. I think I pretty much tweet every link I'm I'm writing about anyway, but Sports Handle is the the website or us bets anything within better collective feel free to <laughs> read that and it, it works out but yeah at bennett conlin just by name on you twitter have, you have a podcast now uh we do for yeah we got a jmu sports news one so for okay. at jmu sports news we got a podcast there and then i think there is um for for sports handle or us bets we've also got a better collective uh, one a couple guys do there for some sports betting talk if people want that one as well all right thank you so much man